can try it and see if it works. But if not, you've got a map probably in the back of your Bibles that show you where Thessalonica is. So you know how much I love the law and Exodus. And I was reading Exodus 21 and 22 and 23. And I was preparing a message on if my ox gores you and what that means. And the Lord said, James, just let the law go for a second here. So I love that stuff. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm studying it, et cetera. But I really felt like the Lord was saying on Wednesday night that to try this. And we're going to go into the book of Thessalonians. And this is kind of interesting. You may think why we picked 2 Thessalonians. Of all the different 66 books in the Bible, this is a short little book. It's only three chapters, 47 verses. But yet this book is so applicable to what we're going through right now in this world. I mean, it really is. This book is about the end and about our response as Christians to this. It's only three chapters. The first chapter is the reality of your walk with Christ. What's it mean to be a Christian walking in this world? The second chapter is about something called the day of the Lord, the judgment that is coming. And then the third chapter, this is what I really like, is now how do we live life knowing this? If we know this, how does this change how we live, how we work, and what we do? Just just think about this. If as believers, we really believe this, if we really think that Christ is going to return, and we really do believe that the rapture is going to happen, which is going to bring in a seven-year period called the tribulation, and there's going to be this guy called the Antichrist, if we really believe all this, this should change how we're living right now. This should spur us on to say, okay, Lord, am I really focused on you? You know, 1 John talks about this, talks about how this idea of Christ returning and what that does for us in our walk with the Lord. It says this, now little children, abide in him, meaning Jesus, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I used to have a friend that had a shirt and he used to wear it that you said, uh, look busy, Jesus is coming. And it was just this idea that this is always in the back of our minds. Christ is going to return. Now just be careful with this. Don't let this turn into this works-based mentality. Obviously, you know works don't save you. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. But also don't turn it into, I must be a good on-fire believer because look at everything I'm doing. No, it's not about that either. It's a reality of this. If I really believe this, if I really believe that Christ is going to return, this changes how I live on a day-in, day-out basis. And all of a sudden, as the great song says, the cares of this world grow strangely dim. It just doesn't matter anymore because our focus is solely on eternity. Paul wrote, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And that's what kind of Thessalonians is reminding us about. So it's three quick chapters. Chapter 1, the reality of your walk with the Lord. Chapter 2, what is the day of the Lord? So that means next week we'll get into some end time stuff. What does it mean? What's tribulation, antichrist? I'm really looking forward to that. We haven't done some teachings on that in a while. And then the third chapter is, once again... Now that we know this, how does this change how we live on a day-in, day-out basis? A little bit of background as we get into this. Thessalonians was written to the church at Thessalonica. Turn with me, if you real quick, to Acts 17. Paul did not spend a lot of time there at Thessalonica. In fact, he only spent three Sabbaths there. So he did not have a real strong relationship with this church. Not like other churches where he spent a year and a half there, where he had this great connection with Corinth or with Ephesus, etc. This is a quick one. He didn't stay that long at Thessalonica. Why? Because we find out here, Acts 17, verse 1. This would be Paul's second missionary journey. 
It says, Now when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Acts 17, verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Amen, right? Well, verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These are who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. What a great statement. Can you imagine being accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine people as you would walk by at work, they would look at you and whisper, that's the guy that has turned this place upside down. Amen. Amen. Turning the world upside down for Christ. Turning where we live and where we work upside down for Christ. Completely flipping the whole system around and saying, Christ, it's all about you. What a great compliment. Verse 7, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And that's all. (laughs) That's Paul. Paul spent three Sabbaths, Thessalonica, caused a riot, turned the world upside down for Christ, and then left. And now we have two letters that he has written to this church at Thessalonica. Now, if you get into early church history, most people believe these are some of the earliest letters written by Paul, maybe in the early A.D. 50s. So you're only talking less than 20 years since Christ died on the cross. And so what you see here is a really heartfelt letter to this church at Thessalonica that says, listen, basically, I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with you. So you're kind of a babe in Christ, First Thessalonians. So let me just send you some of the basics of the faith. Let me tell you about end times. Let me tell you about some other stuff. Second Thessalonians then is the follow-up letter saying, okay, now let me kind of correct some of the other stuff that was going on. What happened was this. They started hearing about this end times and Jesus returning, and then some false teaching got into the church, and the church at Thessalonica thought they missed the boat. They thought they missed Christ returning. So Paul now writes 2 Thessalonians to say, guys, let me correct what happened the first time. And this is why this book is so applicable to us. Because when we look out across the world today, sometimes I stop and I think, Lord, we're missing something here. This is going downhill, and it's going downhill quick. You start seeing about deals being made in foreign affairs, and we're supposed to be supporting Israel, but it doesn't really look like we're doing a good job of supporting Israel. And then you see these things lining up in end times prophecy with Iran and Russia. You see things happening in the judicial system here in the United States. And all of a sudden there's laws being passed or rules being made. And it's like, wait a second here. This, this isn't lining up with what the morality of the scriptures say. Lord, what's going on? And we can relate to this because what's going on at the church of Thessalonica, they wanted to know what's going on. And so Paul said, let me write to you and kind of explain to you. Same thing is applicable for us today. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Stop. It's only three chapters, 47 verses, but it's going to take us about four years to get through this. Silvanus is also known as Silas. 
He wrote, I shouldn't say he wrote, he was part of Paul's group of First Thessalonians. He is mentioned in the book there. He was a companion on Paul's second, journey, second missionary journey. He was also a Thessalonica. If you study out Silas in the New Testament, he's a great guy. As a pastor, you pray for Silas's to come to church. Because you can never have enough Silas's. Just a good servant, faithful servant. He's also with Timothy. Timothy, obviously, is very well known. First Timothy, Second Timothy. Uh, a very dear, Paul called him a child in the faith. Same thing. He was part of the group that was with First Thessalonians. He was a companion with Paul on the second missionary journey. He had one more step, though. When Paul had to leave Thessalonica, he actually sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to kind of help get the church going and in order. So these guys have an emotional connection, a spiritual connection to this church. And so if you were at Thessalonica and you would receive this letter from Paul and you would see Silas's name and Timothy's name, you'd say, yeah, these are the guys. These guys care about us. So, first one, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always consider verse 2 Paul's standard greeting. If you read many of the epistles of Paul, it sounds very, very similar. And the problem with that is you get so used to it, you kind of overlook it. I don't know about you guys, you know, maybe when you're leaving a house and you say goodbye to your wife, love you, love you too, or say goodbye to the kids, love you, love you too. You know, you just start throwing out these words. And it becomes so just ordinary and customary. You know, like, I really love you. <laughs> like, not trying to be a downer here. This may be the last time I see you because I don't know what's going to happen. How's that for a really encouraging thought on a Wednesday night? But... We just kind of toss these words out. I don't want us to skip over verse 2. Grace, peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of theology in that verse. You want grace? Grace, this idea of a free gift, a free gift of salvation. Grace is this idea of getting something, this gift from the Lord. Getting something you don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve heaven. And now we have this in grace. And when you really know that, all of a sudden, verse 2, guess what you have? You now have peace. Because as this world completely, utterly falls apart, when I know that I am saved, that gives me peace to get through the day. This idea of grace and peace coming together, we don't realize it, but when we were walking in our sin and not with the Lord, we were at war with God. And the turmoil and the lack of peace we had. And now all of a sudden we get saved and we know Jesus Christ. And there's now the Bible calls this peace that surpasses all understanding. It's like, wow, even in the midst of the storm, I can stop and say, Lord, you're good. Oh, Lord, you're good. So grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful introduction that is. Now let's get to the heart of this. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. What a beautiful combination. Did you catch that in verse 3? Faith and love. Your faith grows exceedingly, and the love abounds towards each other. What is the definition of a successful church? A successful church is one where faith is growing and love is abounding. That's what we're looking for. Is, is your faith growing? Are you growing deeper in your walk in relationship with Christ? Is your love abounding? And as you look out across this world, does your heart break for non-believers? As you look out across this world, does your heart say just to believers, 
Boy, I want to see you grow deeper in your walk and relationship with Christ. Boy, Lord, I just, I want to love you more and I want to love people more. And what happens, though, sometimes is instead of seeing our faith growing and our love abounding, we see our faith shrinking and our love shrinking. What Paul wants to see in the church at Thessalonica is the faith growing and the love abounding. And it's really interesting because these two words, faith and love, man, if you just look throughout the New Testament, they're constantly connected with each other. There are so many passages that have faith and love together. Because as your love grows, your faith goes deeper. And as your faith goes deeper, guess what happens? Your love grows. The more I'm in the Word that grows my faith, the more I find myself just loving unlovable people. And the more I love unlovable people, the more it makes me want to get into the Word to learn more about who Jesus is, because how did He love unlovable people? And then I'm in the Word more, then all of a sudden I have more love for unlovable people. And it's this this wonderful combination. So I, I ask you, if maybe the heart isn't breaking for the lost, just ask yourself, is your faith growing? Because as your faith grows... Your love increases. And as your love increases, now you desire more of Jesus. And so therefore your faith grows. And it's just this cycle that just keeps repeating. And what a wonderful blessing it is. But if you take out one of those elements of the cycle, it doesn't do any good. How can your love abound unless you're in the Word learning what it means to be a believer? And how can your faith grow unless you're putting it into action and actually loving people? So you have your faith and love growing and abounding. The kind of the cherry on top, verse 4, patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Persecutions and tribulations are sometimes the thorns you need to get into a better spiritual shape. We don't, we don't really like that. I know for me, when my world is falling apart spiritually... I pray more, I fast more, I read more. I know when Dawn and I have big decisions to make, we're in the Word more, we pray more. I know when my kids aren't feeling good, we're laying hands on them and we're anointing them. Tribulations and persecutions are a thorn and it hurts, but it drives you deeper spiritually. It just really does. And see, so often we think that persecution and tribulation will actually hinder spiritual growth. Uh, Chuck Smith made a great point I've just read recently where he says, if you look over history, persecution has never hurt the church. It has never hurt the church. I heard a pastor use this analogy one time. It's like having a fire and you want to stomp it out. So you stomp on it. But as you stomp on it, what do you do? You make more sparks fly all over the place. And that's what happens. If you look throughout church history, when someone has wanted to stomp out the church, it grows. And when you face persecution and tribulation in your life, what did Christ tell you? He goes, actually, you're blessed. Because that is going to force you to want to spend more time in the Word and prayer. It really will. So what Paul's telling the church of Thessalonica here in verse 4, your patience and your faith because of persecution and tribulations that you're enduring is actually growing you. Remember what we said, chapter 1 is what? The reality of a walk with Christ. The reality of a walk with Christ is that persecution and tribulation are going to be an aspect of it. It's going to be a thorn, but that can make your faith and love abound and grow. That's the reality. And we're not doing the gospel message justice if we just promise you that as soon as you accept Jesus, your life will be perfect. 
No, there will be persecution, there will be tribulation. But through your relationship with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will have strength to battle through this. The reality of their walk is there is difficulties. There is definite difficulties. But look what happens, verse 5. Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. When I suffer... It counts me worthy of the kingdom of God. There's a great story in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, where they threaten the church, they beat the church, and the apostles walk away from it in Acts 5 and says they rejoice because they were counted worthy to suffer for the gospel. I remember one time hearing a missionary give his testimony, and he was over in Africa, he was sharing the gospel, and it didn't go well, and next thing you know, he's on his knees in the middle of the town, and they're beating him. And he says they hit him in the head, and he felt the warm blood dripping now down off his forehead. And the only thing he could think of was, praise God, I have been counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. Boy, what a mindset. And so when we look at verse 5, and we're facing persecutions and tribulations, do we ever sit back and say, Lord, you're counting me worthy to suffer for you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You, I... I get to do this. This is evidence of a life living for Jesus. How is this for an encouraging Wednesday night? Persecutions, tribulations, and sufferings. Amen. Evidence of a life lived for Jesus. But that's the truth of it. And those things will make your faith grow and make your love abound, and you'll be blessed. And what Paul is writing the church at Thessalonica, guys, your persecutions, your tribulations, your sufferings are actually blessings because it's helping you grow deeper in your walk with Christ and he's trying to teach them that point. Now, do you have any quick questions, comments on anything here we covered thus far? Because it kind of changes subjects here a little bit in uh, verse 6. Okay, because what we have is this. Now we're going to break this up into two groups. Verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Note that. If you trouble God's people, according to verse 6, you will be judged. If you are troubled for being God's people, verse 7, you will receive rest. God is a loving heavenly father. He does not like it when people pick on his kids. He doesn't. And if the world is troubling God's people, they will be judged for that. He's telling this young church, guys, your Heavenly Father is noticing. He knows what you're going through. He's keeping track of the bullies picking on his kids. And he's also saying, hey, guys, verse 7, if you are troubled, God says, I will also give you rest. Just think about that. You trouble God's people, you will be judged. If you're troubled for being God's people, you will receive rest. God always takes care of his children. And how He will he judge those who are troubling God's people? Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with the everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Non-believers, look at this word. This is what He's saying about non-believers. They will be punished, destruction, flaming fire. That doesn't sound real good. See, he introduces to us in verse 10 that idea of that day. 
That day of judgment, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. What is the day of judgment? What is the tribulation? What is God? What does it literally mean for us to be raptured out and there's going to be a seven-year tribulation? There's going to be an Antichrist, all culminating in the second coming of Christ where Jesus literally returns and sets foot on the earth and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. That's what we get to get into next week in chapter 2. And so he introduces this idea of judgment, verse 10, and that day of judgment... Why are they being judged? They're being judged, verse 8, very simply put, because they chose to not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected. See, in this world we live in, if you do something wrong, the Bible says that God is just, and that has to be taken care of. Now, sometimes we don't think that happens in this world, right? We get frustrated. We get frustrated because we see people who should be judged not being judged. And then we see people who shouldn't be judged, and they are being judged. And the whole world is just completely out of whack. But the simple truth that God is trying to make here in the Bible is this. If you do not obey, there are consequences to that. And that doesn't matter who you are. There's going to be consequences to not obeying. And that's why the beauty and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is so amazing. I had something just pop up today where I got in trouble. How's this for a story? So we're doing VBS. Excuse me, we're doing VBS, and so it was water games today. So I couldn't carry my phone with me because obviously you're going to get completely soaked. So I come back into my office in between sessions there, and I have a phone call. I have a message on my phone from from a gal that kind of pops out here to church. Hey, Pastor James, this is so and so. Um, I was like, oh, I wonder why she called me. So she's leaving me this message. Hey, Pastor James, this is so and so. And uh, hey, you were up at the gas station. Uh, earlier this week on Monday. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? She goes, and you filled up your little portable tank of gasoline. Right? I did, because I was mowing on Monday. And she goes, uh, you didn't pay for it. I'm thinking, I didn't pay for it. She goes, so we need you to come back up, pay 13 13 wherever it was. I thought, didn't pay for it. I remember swiping the credit card, and I remember filling it up. And then I went into the actual gas station, and, and I started thinking, well, maybe the card didn't go through or something like that. So then I thought, well, why didn't they catch it inside? So I went in, and then the gal that was working was another gal I know from church. And so, you know me, just blah, 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 blah. And so chit-chatting. So I didn't pay for, for the gas, obviously, then again. And so she says, just swing back up and pay for it. I thought, okay, this is no big deal. So I swing back up, and the gal that's now working, I don't know. So I go in there and say, hey, I got a phone call from so-and-so that said I owed some gas, some money for gas. And I said, okay. So I thought, this is no big deal. Let's pay for it. She pulls out a manila envelope. I have a file. And so she opens it up. There is a huge picture of me from a security camera that says drive off with all the time, date, stamp, everything. Now, this is where it gets good. I'm wearing my Harvest Fellowship prayer chain shirt. And underneath it, handwritten, handwritten, it says this, Pastor James, Harvest Fellowship, because they know who I am. So Pastor James from Harvest Fellowship has a file now that says drive off with my Harvest Fellowship church on. Now, I thought the whole thing was funny. The gal did not find it as funny as I did. I was going to ask for the picture. I thought this was... I mean, it's just me on this grainy security camera. Yeah, that's me. I got my Atlanta Braves hat on, my Harvest Fellowship church. I'm a drive off. So I asked her. I said, so if I wouldn't come in to pay, would you like post this up there or something? She wouldn't answer me. I just thought the whole thing funny. Point is, if you do not obey, 
it happens. You will get by. So you're, if I'm doing six months at CCNO, come visit me. Um, I think everything's cool now. But now I'm like really concerned. The next time I go get fuel, it's like, okay, did I pay for this now? So there's really no spiritual point. But if you do not obey, there's consequences. Now, now just think about this. We, we live in a world of there's simple consequences for going over the speed limit. There's consequences for, for not paying for something. There's consequences. How much more then there would be eternal consequences for choosing to reject Jesus Christ? This, this is the point of chapter 1. The reality of your walk with the Lord is that there are huge consequences, verse 8, for not obeying the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has become so desensitized to the words of Jesus that we we skip over this stuff. Look at verse 8. Flaming fire taking vengeance. Verse 9. Shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Those are pretty powerful words. What Paul is trying to tell the church at Thessalonica, he says, hey, guys, your faith is growing. Your love is abounding. Persecutions and tribulations, you're enduring them. You've been counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. Amen. But there's a whole world out there that's rejecting the gospel message, and there's flaming fire and vengeance and punishment and everlasting destruction on this day of judgment that is coming. That's a pretty big wake-up call. This is big. So what are we supposed to do with this information? Verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you and Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, guys, since we know this is happening, we're going to pray for you. And we're going to pray for you that you can, verse 11, fulfill what God wants you to do. And then verse 12, that you can glorify Jesus Christ. Look how simple this first chapter is. Paul says, I just want your faith to grow. I want your love to abound. I want you to realize that persecutions and tribulations, that's actually evidence of you walking with the Lord People are rejecting Jesus, and they're, and they're going to die and be judged. So guys, verse 11 and 12, we're going to keep praying for you, fulfill what God has called you to do, and just glorify Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we just so completely, utterly complicate the world we live in. And the world we live in is really kind of simple. Jesus is returning. You're either saved or you're not saved. If you are saved, I pray exactly what Paul says right there. Your love would abound, your faith would grow, and you would fulfill the calling that God has given you as you glorify Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, I just want to tell you, there is vengeance and fire, and there's everlasting destruction for those that reject Jesus Christ. That's the pure simplicity of what we're supposed to be doing every day. Let's not get so focused on life and the busyness of life that we lose that pure simplicity of what Paul is trying to tell us here. It just takes him 12 verses to say this. That's really what it's supposed to be. What I want to finish with is this. Can you go to John 15, please? John 15.
In John 15, depending on your translation, my New King James uses the word abide. Some of your translations may say remain, etc. It's just really simple concept of, of you abide in Christ, you remain in Christ, and guess what? He abides in us. And this is this relationship. Just look at it. Verse 7 here of John 15. The whole thing of John 15 is good. And we're running out of time. If you want something for devotions tonight, I encourage you. John 15 will really bless you. It's a lot of the same stuff we're talking about. But look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. That's just exactly what we talked about. Paul ended with verse 12 there about glorifying Jesus Christ. Okay, see, to me, this is how my mind works. If God wants me to glorify Jesus Christ, my first question should be, okay, Lord, how can I glorify you? Does does that mean sitting here and praising you and worshiping you? So, okay, I'm just going to become a monk and I'm going to get my house up on top of a hill and I'll just never stop praising God. Okay, well, I mean, that's good in the sense of God always being glorified, but... What did Jesus say? How did Jesus say that we could glorify God the Father? Verse 8, by bearing fruit for Him. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, it's this symbolism that He's given us, is that you're a branch off this tree, off this root of Jesus Christ, and that you're out there bearing fruit for Him. Well, what's fruit? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is a good place to start. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What a great place to start. Lord, are those attributes in my life? If I'd go up to somebody, and I mean somebody who would really be honest with me, and say, do you see, do you see in me the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Do you really see those fruits in my life? That's a really honest question to ask. And I tell you, in your own private time of prayer, take those fruits of the Spirit and really say, Lord, are these really here? I mean, are they really in my life? Because your word says that's how God the Father is glorified when I'm producing fruit for you. And if that's what you want me to do, well, then that's what I want to do. Well, it's not complicated stuff. I want to be a branch off the tree of Jesus Christ that's producing fruit for the Lord. And what does that look like actually? Well, everybody has a different calling, different ministry, different gifts. I don't know what it looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. Lord, am I doing that? Because if I really believe First Thessalonians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, if I really do believe this, there is everlasting destruction coming for those that reject Jesus. There is a day of judgment coming. We're going to learn more next week. Lord, I want to be counted worthy for you. And so I want to be doing what you called me to do, walking in your grace and your love and just what you did for me on the cross. That's the point of chapter 1, the reality of your walk with Christ, which now sets you up for chapter 2, which is what is the day of the Lord? What is this day of judgment coming? Which then sets us up for chapter 3 to say, okay, now how do we live this? Now that we know this, what does this look like? So I hope you're going to be blessed by our study in 2 Thessalonians. Lord willing, time willing, we should go through this pretty quick. I would say next week we may slow down a little bit because we start getting into Antichrist, rapture, tribulation, millennial reign, that type of stuff. It's always good to have a little bit more information, some time to chew on that. But the point of tonight, the reality of your walk with the Lord, man, I want my faith to grow deeper. I might love to abound in Him. Lord, I just want more of you. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up? Yeah, Cameron. You saw me that Monday? I was, I was working that Monday and you came in and you had your fellowship church. 
That's right, I did. I went into Ron's. Did I steal something from Ron's too? Yeah. No, no. no not, not that you know of. <laughs> As far as I know, I bought at Ron's, I bought crackers for chili, and as far as I know, I paid for them. I will look for the receipt and try to bring that in next week. Because obviously I'm just a, a kleptomaniac and I did not even know that. How's that for an excuse? So, Anybody else have anything? Yeah. Oh, when you abide with something, you kind of put up with it, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, this word for abide, if you look at this in, in John 15, it, it literally means to that idea of planting and to becoming one with. So, yeah, it would not follow what we would use the word abide for. Because a lot of times when people use that word abide, what you're saying is people use, I'm just going to kind of put up with it. Yeah, if you look at it from that idea, what Jesus is saying is, listen, hey, if you put up with me and I put up with you, No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're in me and I'm in you, that word abide is a very strong to remain in, to plant yourself in, to be part of that person's life. So from the biblical definition, it has a much stronger meaning. Good question. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? Nancy. Fruits of the Spirit are found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And depending on your translation, they may word a little bit differently. I will read to you the New King James Version here. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. No problem. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? Yeah, Liz. And that's for the meal on Friday. There you go. So if you've got a little bit of time here tonight and you want to pop into the kitchen, J.D. will point you in the right direction. Big meal on Friday, uh, you know, great fellowship, great outreach potential there. If you want to get involved with that, just pop back to the kitchen here after church. No problem. Anybody else got anything before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to walk the walk that you've called us to do. Help us to have our faith grow deeper in you. Help us, Lord, to abound in love towards the brethren. Lord, when this persecution and tribulation arises, we thank you for that. Lord, thank you. We know it will never destroy us. It will actually grow us. Help us to keep that focus and that mindset. We love you, Lord. We pray you bless this time in 2 Thessalonians. And Lord, bless Vacation Bible School. Just hearts open, souls open, the word of Jesus proclaimed. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, feel free to pop back to help uh, in the kitchen. Or if you, got, if you want to, you can pop up here. We're going to have a word of prayer.